Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. In this episode of the podcast, we are chatting with Beth Restituto about both of her pregnancies. In this podcast, we mention PROM, which is premature rupture of membranes. We mention meconium in the amniotic fluid. We mention an induction with Cervidil. We also talk about trying to induce labor on her own using massage, walking, and different types of movements. And then we talk about preparing for the postpartum period, which Beth really talks about how much that helped her and her husband while they were postpartum with their second child. So if any of those things stick out to you or are something that you are maybe interested in, definitely stick around and listen to both of Beth's birth stories. Welcome back to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Beth Restituto coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Beth. Yeah, sure. No problem. So starting off, tell me how you met your partner. Tell me a little bit about yourself and about your family. Um, well, I grew up in Charlotte for the most part, and after college, I moved to New Orleans. I had some friends in the area and had been visiting throughout college and really liked it. So packed up my car and went down there all by myself. And my husband had grown up a little bit all over. His parents were military and they settled in the Kansas City area when he was in middle school. And he also decided to pack up and move somewhere. And he had one sister in New Orleans. So he got a job, moved there, and that's where we met and got married and started our family. So did you guys live in New Orleans when you actually got pregnant or had you moved somewhere else? With, um, so we had our first in New Orleans and then we actually, I got pregnant the day before the whole pandemic happened. So we were kind of in that two week wait and also three weeks away from moving to Charlotte from New Orleans. Um, so with our son, we kind of were a little bit of an in-between at the very beginning of my pregnancy. So, so your, your son was your second pregnancy, correct? Yes. Okay. And your first pregnancy you had in New Orleans? A girl. Yeah. Oh. In New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about finding out you were pregnant with your son. Um, well, we had actually been planning on trying. We have been super, super lucky and got both of our kids on the first try. So, you know, we were obviously very excited. Also not really sure what to expect or what to do because by the time we found out we were two weeks into a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And the kind of scary part for us was By the time I found out, we were a week away from moving, so I didn't have time to even get in to see my midwives in New Orleans, which they didn't really have a lot of information either. (laughs) You know, everybody didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And um, when I found a practice in Charlotte and nobody was taking new patients in Charlotte, so I actually didn't get a chance to talk to anybody here 
until I was about 10 or 11 weeks along. Wow. I had no idea that that was like a thing in Charlotte. Like people were not taking patients. They were not taking new patients. So I guess they were reserving their limited appointment times for existing patients, but that left people like me kind of in limbo. Right. Because a lot of us didn't have any information and didn't, we don't have access to early medical information. And luckily for us, I have a cousin who is an OB in the Northeast. So I immediately like called her up and was, you know, asking her a million questions. And she was kind of our support system through those early days. And if she found out anything, she let us know right away. But again, it really wasn't much because this was all very early on. We had no idea what this meant for pregnant moms and babies and especially the first trimester, which is so crucial with everything else. Yeah, that totally, that makes sense though. Now that you even said like the limited appointment availability, that makes sense because they were like cutting down office hours and cutting down appointments. So it makes kind of sense that they were like, but then again, it's not fair to that whole population. People who's like, well, I need, you know, I need an ultrasound. Like where am I supposed to get it at? Right. I mean, there, and there was nowhere to like get an ultrasound. The only thing that we were going off of was our home pregnancy test, which is fine. They're pretty accurate nowadays. You know, I got morning sickness at six weeks, like right on the dot. So we were like, okay, well, pretty sure I'm actually pregnant. So tell me about, tell me about your first pregnancy and your second, you know, what, what did you, did you struggle with anything? Um, I know you mentioned the morning sickness at six weeks. Did you have that with both pregnancies? Yeah, I am one of the lucky ones that has morning sickness 24 seven. So I don't have a specific block of the day where I feel bad. And then sometimes they feel better. It's all day, every day. And both times it took until about 20 weeks for it to go away. Yeah, that's long. It's long. And I agree with that. They call it morning sickness, but I experienced the same thing. Like mine was only, you know, from six to 10 weeks, if even it wasn't long like yours, but it totally was all day. I would lay in bed at at night. Like I had the spins, like, you know, when you're really drunk and then you spin, (laughs) that's how I felt. And it was all day long. There was no rhyme or reason. I think I felt best in the morning, to be honest. Yeah, I think um, evenings, late afternoon to evening was probably the worst part. You know, thankfully, we had a great support system in New Orleans. And so I was able to call my midwives here and they just called in a prescription for me because they, you know, I told them my initial appointment date and they were like, no, you're not going to wait a month to get this prescription for your morning sickness. You need this now. So, so besides the morning sickness, how were both of your pregnancies as far as like similarities or differences? They were pretty similar. We have been very lucky with picture perfect pregnancies for the most part. Our second one, I had a small, um, SCH, which I can't remember exactly what that stands Some for. Some people you call do. it, yes, a subchorionic hemorrhage or subchorionic yes. hematoma. It's kind of like a blood pocket that forms behind the placenta, between the placenta and the, the uterine wall. Um, and sometimes you never know they're there. They're there. They absorb right back into your body. And then sometimes they do kind of, the placenta will push it out and you will have some spotting or bleeding from vaginal spotting or bleeding. Yeah, I had a small one 
this second time around, but it was one of those things where, you know, it pops up on the ultrasound and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what is this? And my midwife was not concerned, you know, touched base with my cousin again. And she was like, well, it seems pretty small. So, you know, yeah, they're normally totally not a concern unless they're, you know, huge and threaten the pregnancy, but did you bleed from it or, or no, just the tiniest bit like for maybe a day. And I mean, it was even, I called and let them know that I was having some bleeding and they asked me about it and they were, you know, said, it's no problem. You're mm-hmm. fine. Call us if it gets worse. Yes. Still never like, cause I had, I did have um, an SCH also with this pregnancy that I have right now. And I did bleed a little bit too, but, and there's something like for, you know, I mean, not for some reason, but vaginal bleeding when you're pregnant is just like, I, I, even if you know, it's an SCA, it is, it is yeah. It's just a mental thing. Like you, so we all, every single woman, I think during pregnancy associates bleeding with miscarriage. Like we just do. And yeah, um, blood is bad. Yes. Blood is bad. So when you see that it is, even if they tell you, Oh, it's fine. It's tiny. It's the SCH. You're like, nah, I don't like this. Right. Yeah. No, that um, it didn't last very long. I think by the anatomy scan, it had completely cleared up. So, but that yeah. was really the only hiccup in pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. So pretty, pretty good, pretty easy. Did you enjoy being pregnant? Were you kind of like one of those people who liked it or were you kind of ready to be done? (laughs) I I am not one of those people that loves being pregnant. There are parts of it that are pretty cool and it is a very unique experience. You know, I, I, not something that I love. I love my kids. I'm very glad we had them. I'm glad we were able to conceive very easily but it's just no picnic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that that's okay. You know, I think there, it's a beautiful thing, but some people are like, Oh, I love being pregnant. I can do it every day. And then some people are like, nah, I I like my kids. (laughs) You're like, my kids are great, but I'm glad they're out. (laughs) Yes. So how old was your daughter when you actually had your son? She was a little over three years old. She was three and some change. So real quick, if you want to just like, kind of give us a a briefing on her birth, um, what was her birth like as far as like birth plan and birth preparation for her? Um, so that was one of those where we had all these plans that kind of went out the window. She was a prom baby. So my water broke on a Tuesday night and we called the midwife and she said, great, go to bed you have 24 hours until, you know, you need to come to the hospital thinking that, you know, for most women, once your water breaks that far along, I was a little over 40 weeks that labor would kick in. And then we noticed some meconium in the fluid. So then it was, okay, well, you need to come in now. So we went in around midnight on a Tuesday night, nothing really happened. We tried all of the like doula tips and tricks. We had the L and D nurses that had their tips and tricks. We did all of the things and it was just, I was a big fat zero. (laughs) So, um, close to 24 hours, we decided to go ahead and start with induction, um, and cervical ripening because uh, really nothing was happening. So at that point, you know, infection is a concern with the meconium, Um, but also it was our first, we weren't really sure how many kids we wanted to have, but I 
I do kind of have a rule of no more than two C-sections. So anytime that happens, that's going to dictate our plans for, you know, our family. So we, we did get to the end goal of a vaginal birth. We had an awesome doula down there. Um, It took I think from the start of the induction with Cervidil, I think that's what it was, um, to the end, it was about 26 hours. So we had, we went in Tuesday night and had a baby Thursday afternoon. Well, like 4.30 Thursday afternoon. Yeah. That's not, you know, for an induction, first time baby, that is really not that's not that long. I know it probably felt right, but in hindsight, it's not. And just for anybody wondering, we mentioned, um, PROM, which is just premature rupture of membranes, essentially when your water breaks and you're not in labor yet. And then Beth had also mentioned meconium and meconium is when the baby has a bowel movement in your water. So why, you know, that can obviously increase a little bit of infection risks, risk. Sometimes also it, you know, as you labor, if they keep on having meconium, their water gets kind of thick with it. And it can just kind of upset babies. I guess we could say during labor, it can cause them to be a little bit more stressed out and meconium makes your water, how, you know, how Beth knew she had it is I'm sure it was probably like green tinged. Is that right? Yeah, that was about, it It was clear at first. And then we noticed the green tinge. So, and then when they did your cervidil, you mentioned cervidil for cervical ripening. That's normally, it looks like a tampon that goes in. Did your stay in for about 12 hours? Yeah, it was 12 hours um, of no fun at all, <laughs> but it worked really well. So I would do it again if I had to, yeah. because it worked. Because you said 26 hours from the start. And I'm like, well, the Cervidil was almost half of that. So that actually right. very, I would consider that fairly quick, honestly. Um, okay. Considering the Cervidil to be half of that. And a lot of times we don't see anything happen on Cervidil. They sleep through the night and they wake up the next morning, the same centimeters. It just maybe softened a little bit. So I would consider your induction very successful in my opinion, but yeah, that's what, um, our doula down there, she was also a labor and delivery nurse. And so when we were, you know, kind of going through it two weeks after my daughter was born, she asked me what I thought about the birth. And i you know, told her, I was like, well, I had all these plans for things that I wanted to do and almost none of it happened. And she's like, I think it went really well. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's good to know that from a professional standpoint, it actually did go well. It just didn't go exactly how I had planned it in my head because that's how birth works, right? You plan it out and it goes exactly according to plan. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you plan for an unmedicated birth with even your first one or were you more open to getting epidural? So I don't do needles okay. really unless I have to. Um, that The funny thing about my first was that I really, really, really don't do needles. And I asked for an epidural about five times, but after the first two times I asked, they got anesthesia up there. They were about to come in the room and do it. And I would be like, no, 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 never mind. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. So I am pretty sure that every other time I asked, they were like, sure, we're going to call anesthesia right now. Mm -hmm." And then never did. (laughs) They probably never did. And I never knew because 20 minutes later, I would just say, I don't, I can't do it. I can't do that needle. So you ended up having an unmedicated birth with your first. I did it. Yeah, I did it unmedicated. 
Okay. Do not be hard on yourself for that <laughs> induction. That is amazing. Induction is hard. I'm sure you're on Pitocin also. Yes. Yes. Pitocin. I don't know. We'll get into your second birth story, but Pitocin contractions are way different than not, you know, contractions. They are. They so are. You having your first baby as an induction with PROM unmedicated girl, you better be proud. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I know it didn't go exactly according to my plan, but you know, we got to our end goal of a vaginal birth, which was, that was the big thing that I really wanted. Yes. That's amazing. So now going into your second birth, tell me about any birth plans or birth preparation that you did for your son. So for my son, we kind of had loose plans and we, you know, we kind of learned that from your first that especially if you've never done this before, I'm sure it will be different for you because you've seen a lot of births, but we made more, I guess, just preference choices. So kind of a list of what we would prefer to do um, should issues arise. Um, I love that. I always tell, even on this podcast, people hear me say all the time, and I should probably change it even in my like prep, but I always say like, I say birth preferences are so much better. I tell that to my patients. I tell it to people on the podcast because you cannot plan birth, but you can have preferences, right? You cannot plan birth and even doing things to it. I feel like if you mentally prepare for all scenarios, it just helps if you get to that point. So we even had plans for if I needed a C-section, the likelihood being very low that I would need a C-section, mm-hmm. especially after the first one, we got to where we wanted to go. Did you um, hire a doula here in Charlotte as well for this um, birth? We did. So we had two doulas because early on in the pandemic, no doulas were allowed in hospitals. And I had a friend in New Orleans that I'd known for a few years who was a doula and was offering virtual doula services. So we hired her thinking, well, if they allow doulas back in, then hopefully we'll be in a position where we have to hire two doulas. Right. And that's exactly what happened. So we did kind of like early pregnancy birth planning with my friend in New Orleans and then we had a doula in Charlotte that we hired to be in person and she kind of hopped on and we would do, um, appointments all together. We would do appointments on a big zoom call together with both of our doulas and any in-person appointments, our new Orleans doula would hop on and, you know, join us on FaceTime or whatever. So it was kind of like a great big party. Yeah. That sounds like an awesome double the support. I mean, what more could you want? Yeah. And did you hire a midwife here in Charlotte also for this birth? Yes, we were at a midwife OB combo practice. So there were three midwives at the office that we were at along with OBs. Should we need to transfer to essentially a specialist? Yes. And you were planning a hospital birth again, correct? Yeah. So we did a hospital birth. Um, we actually live closer to the city and picked a hospital out in the suburbs because we had heard great things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit smaller and, you know, it was a little bit newer. So, you know, we kind of, we kind of liked that idea. I've heard they're pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah. We like them a lot. <laughs> 
it was worth, it was about 30 minute drive. It was worth the drive. Yes. It, I, I live in the city too. And I also am doing the same thing because the drive is totally worth it. <laughs> yeah. But as far as outside of having a doula and a midwife and picking a hospital that maybe you guys thought was a better fit for your wishes, did you guys do any other like birth preparation? Yeah, we did a, another birth class. We actually did two birth classes for my first and we did another birth class for my second. So we have three under our belts. Um, but yeah, that was, it was pretty much all that we could really do. We were pretty limited to what we had access to during a pandemic. And thankfully it wasn't our first pregnancy. So we kind of knew the ropes a little bit. And do you remember the names of any of the birth classes you did? Um, it was, so the zoom birth class that we did, I might have to look it up for you. Was it like a more of a local one? No, it was actually taught by our doula from my first pregnancy. Okay. So our do- our doula from my first pregnancy, she is, she was a labor and delivery nurse. She's an IBCLC. She is a doula and she trains doulas all over the country. Like wow. she is one stop shop everything. That's awesome. That's awesome. So. And I also I like how you said when you guys were kind of like creating birth preferences that you kind of went down like every rabbit hole of, you know, well, you know, most the big, what could happen in birth, like, you know, as far as cesarean section, or, you know, if they are trying to do an assisted instrumental delivery, things like that, it's always important to educate on. And that's something that I harp on a lot in prenatals with doula clients, because in the case that something happens and it happens quick and it's an emergency and they're saying words, you know, such as episiotomy, vacuum, forceps, cesarean birth, um, you, general anesthesia, anything like that. You had, if we talk about it and you know about it, then you won't be so scared in those moments because you know, what's coming. Whereas if you're like, you know, forceps, what are forceps? What are we doing? What do you, like, you know what I mean? And you've never heard the word before. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very good to have all of that research done. And, you know, especially when it comes to interventions and you have to make a decision quickly, if, you know, if there is a point where you can decide between different interventions, it's nice to know what you would prefer ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. And just even some like knowledge about it can take a little bit of that fear out. You know, it may be something that you don't want to have to do or face or whether it be vacuum cesarean, but at least like having some knowledge and knowing what's happening, I think can remove a lot of that fear also. Absolutely. Um, it does, it definitely removes a lot of the fear and, um, yeah, I think knowledge is power. And if you don't know your options, you don't have options. Right. I like that. That's very true. So tell me about going into labor with your son. So that was a long one. I was told that the second one comes sooner and they come faster. And there are two sides of the bell curve and I am definitely on the far side. you know, with, with our first, I was induced, um, probably obviously sooner than my daughter wanted to come out. So we kind of joke that she decided to come out and then backed out of the (laughs) plan last minute, which she has done with every other milestone in her life. (laughs) She, I mean, she walked 
I think on Christmas day or the day after Christmas, after she turned one and then just didn't do it for another two months. Oh my God. That was it. She's like, you know what? Walking's overrated. Forget it. (laughs) So for our second, um, you know, I kind of felt like afterwards that this was a little bit of a do-over. Like I, I kind of got all the things that I was looking for and with my first that just didn't happen. Um, so with him, I had actually gone into my 41 week appointment on a Thursday, waiting around for this kid to come out. He was already past where his sister was. So we're just kind of like, okay, any day now, kid. And we did a quick ultrasound to check on baby, see how I was doing. And they, you know, of course, measured all my fluids because he's getting bigger at that point. And my midwife came into the appointment. She was like, your fluid levels are borderline. So at that point, we started talking about induction again, which, you know, having done it, I would absolutely do it again if I needed to. Um, but it wasn't, still wasn't what I wanted. Like I wanted to go into labor on my own and have this baby on my own. And there's, I know logically this isn't true, but some part of me felt like I had failed again because I was not dilated. Um, I was 41 weeks And it was getting to the point where, okay, we've researched all of these options and all of these interventions, and we are really considering these again. Right. And I think that's really valid. I think that that is something that many women feel throughout even like labor, you know, if you end up in an emergent cesarean or even get induced, things like that. It is, it, like you said, it's not logic, but it is valid because it is definitely something that people feel and it's something to acknowledge. And it's kind of like something you have to mourn and you're mourning what you had planned and what you had kind of like meditated on, or what, at least what you had preferred. You're kind of like mourning that because now, you know, your plans are facing a big switch that you were like, Oh, I wanted my body to do this on my own. Like, why isn't my body doing this on its own? Right. Exactly. Like this is the thing that we're made to do. And as smart as the human body is sometimes, sometimes it needs a little push in the right direction and that's okay. And that's why we have interventions for when we need them. Right. So um, in the meantime, were you doing things to try to induce labor outside of, you know, before your appointment even? I was 41 weeks. I was doing all of the things for about three weeks at that. I had a feeling that's why I asked. So tell me a few of the things that you were doing. So we were doing lots of walks, which I hated. Um, You know, I was trying to do like lots of squatting, stretching positions at home. Um, You know, just basically like all the little things that you can do to kind of like get baby to shift down a little bit more and put a little bit of pressure on your cervix and were you get eating, things going. Were you eating or drinking anything specific or? Yeah, we had ordered, um, a pizza from a local pizza place called the inducer. I'm familiar. <laughs> yes. We actually, I mentioned it to my midwife at my 38 week appointment. I was like, I'm ordering this pizza right now. And she's like, Oh yeah. The inducer. He's yep. like, okay, great. <laughs> It's like, I heard about this pizza and she's like, "Mm -hmm, me too. (laughs) 
that's funny that's great so we yeah we had been doing that it did not work for I don't me, think it but... ever really does I don't know <laughs> it was a good pizza I'm sure <laughs> yeah that so once we started talking about induction stuff again that it was it was a little disappointing and you know I was a very tight one at the office so something had been happening but like I knew that nothing was really going on. Um, it just, whatever contractions I had at home were definitely Braxton Hicks. They were not like, you can feel the difference <laughs> once you've done it, like the actual dilating contractions. So, you know, I kind of had a bit of a mourning period in the office. I started crying about it and, you know, venting all my frustrations to my midwife. And, you know, she was talking me through like, these, these are our options. We can make decisions together as a team, but, you know, professionally, this is what I think we're likely looking at. So, um, you know, it was, it was not an emergency, but, we were looking at when I could get on the schedule, knowing that I would probably be bumped a little bit due for emergency, more emergency inductions, um, things that were a little bit more urgent than us. So I went home um, and we talked to both of our duels on the phone and, you know, I cried a ton <laughs> again and, you know, one of our, one of our doulas did say like, listen, we're talking through options now. Choices have not been taken away from you yet. This is not an emergency. If it was an emergency, they would not have let you leave the office. They would have sent you straight to the hospital. So we have time to kind of talk through what we're going to do. And so we talked through everything and we were at home. My husband decided to take his paternity leave at that point and just be with me for the rest of the day until baby came and long after. And we got a call from our midwife and she said, well, I think you need to grab your husband and get him on the phone too. Cause I have some good news for you. So she had brought my ultrasound results and everything in my history to one of the OBs in the office to just kind of look it over again. And he said that we could give it a couple more days because technically my fluid levels were borderline, but both, I guess, tests, both methods, I technically passed okay. barely. <laughs> so... <laughs> It was very good news. He said, let's give it, it was a Thursday. Let's give it to Saturday, Saturday night and see where we are. So they put me on the schedule for an induction Saturday night. We talked through our plans again and decided like, okay, we're going to go hardcore, do all the things, try to get labor going. And Saturday night, we will go to the hospital and check on the baby and see where we're at. So at that point, we were not making any decisions. We were going to wait until our induction time to make any choices. Um, I just happened to have an induction massage scheduled for that afternoon. So I went to my massage, um, 
And I actually had to go back to my midwife's office to do my COVID test. So we didn't have to worry about that at the hospital on Saturday. She's like, we'll do this now, but you have to stay home after that. It's like you are quarantined until you come to the hospital. Yes. So that was no problem. We did not have any other plans <laughs> other than have a baby. Um, and Thursday night, I started feeling some stuff. And I didn't know what it was because I never went into labor on my own before. And I woke up my husband a couple times. <laughs> Every time I felt something, I was like, Nick, I don't know if this is a contraction or not. And he's like, I don't know if this is either. <laughs> he's like, I haven't felt them before. I don't know. I know. <laughs> like we've never done it this way before. So I was up all night. Um, now we know that I was in labor. I didn't know I was in labor, but I was up all night and Friday morning, everything stopped. Nothing happened all day Friday. So, you know, we kept going for walks and, um, I had been instructed by our midwife to do anything that promotes oxytocin. So just spending time together as a couple doing lots of cuddles with our three-year-old, just getting like all the good feelings going and, getting me to relax <laughs> a little bit. Um, so Friday night rolls around and I think I'm going to get some sleep and nope, that's when things like really started happening. And I started feeling those like dilation contractions, not just like the Braxton Hicks practice contractions. So I, bugged my husband a couple times. Um, and then I stopped bugging him because he's a very active birth partner. So I wanted him to be well rested yes. <laughs> so he could deal with me. And Friday morning I get up and have been having very irregular contractions all night. We're kind of hanging out. There wasn't really much going on in the morning. And then around I don't know, maybe 11-ish, that's when we realized like, okay, things are happening and maybe it's slow, but they're happening. And we called my parents over um, to stay or no, this was Saturday morning. I'm sorry, this wasn't Friday morning anymore. Friday night, I was in labor again. So Saturday morning, we had called my parents over to hang out with our three-year-old because at that point, like, I'm having serious contractions that I need to concentrate on. I'm in and out of the tub, in and out of the shower. We're going for walks. Some contractions are really big and some are really small. And I didn't know that that's normal labor. It's not like Pitocin where there's a very steady, predictable increase. You know, sometimes you get a break with a smaller contraction and then you get hit by a really, really intense one. Yes. <laughs> We were at contractions that were about 10 minutes apart by the time it was time to drive to the hospital Saturday night. And I'm in the car, like hoping for a two. I'm hoping that I'm a two, like yeah. just to know that there's some progress happening. So we get checked in, they check out baby, they check me and I was a five. <laughs> wow. So you went in for your induction that was, that was scheduled having had been contracting for a little bit and you were five. 
I was a five and we, and we were still on the plan of, okay, we're on the schedule. Should we decide to be induced, but we're going to check, we're going to see what's going on and then make our decision from there. So we went in for my induction time and I was a five and the midwife looked at me and she was like, well, you live 30 minutes away. We could send you home until you're a six, but by the time you get home and turn around and come back, you're going to be a six. So you might as well just hang out. You know, I, I am never going to forget that she, I was always afraid of losing my choices and losing my options in birth. And, you know, baby was fine. I was fine. And she looked at me and she said, you're in charge here. Like, this is all up to you. It was, it was fantastic. And I really think that was just kind of like what I needed to hear at that moment. Um, Cause I think I do have some issues with holding on to anxiety sometimes. And I think that kind of like held my baby in a little bit. Like I needed to let go and let him out. Um, so that was, that was just the perfect thing that I needed to hear was like, this is all you. (laughs) So, you know, they get us checked in, we decide to stay. And as soon as the midwife leaves the room, like we are three minutes apart, like we are rocking and rolling. We went from like 10 minutes apart to an hour of check-in with nothing happening to like, Oh, baby's coming. now. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a little wild. Um, you know, we had been in touch with our doula for two days at that point, both of our doulas. And so she was already on the way to the hospital. She's like, I think things are happening. So I'm just going to come now. (laughs) And she walked in the door and like drops her bag and gets to work because she does. (laughs) Yes. It was that fast. It was so fast that we did not have a second to get our second doula on FaceTime. So, you know, our doulas were kind of like texting each other updates. (laughs) So once our in-person doula got there, I, it was like radio silence on our end and our doula in New Orleans was just kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll be hanging out until I hear about something. So she completely missed our birth because <laughs> there was like, there was no time. Yeah. So how, how did, how did it progress from then when, when your doula got there to actually having your son? Um, it was about four or five hours at okay. that point. So it was really quick. I think, um, we were really, it was about 8 p.m. when we were kind of rocking and rolling with some serious contractions every two or three minutes. Um, I actually walked around a ton with my first and I kind of like birthed on all fours, like propped up against the bed that had been transformed into like a reclining chair thing. Yep. So, you know, I was in and out of the shower with my first, I thought like, these are all the things that I want to do again. And this time I was laying on my side in the bed, did not move from the bed, was not on my feet once. Like at some point I was getting really tired because I had labored at home for two and a half days. (laughs) 
And so the midwife was kind of like trying to make suggestions. She's like, well, let's, let's get you propped up a little bit. Let's get gravity going. Like, she's like, we gotta get this baby out before this mom gets too tired. Um, so they kind of got me propped up so that gravity could help. And, you know, they're telling me like, you got to move. Like you need to shake and shimmy your hips a little bit. And I hated it because every time I did, I could feel them drop a little bit lower and then a huge contraction would hit. And, you know, so this time around, it was, it was very weird. Like I'm never really thought I would be into being coached through labor because the first time around, I just kind of like did my thing. Right. And everyone around me noticed I was doing my thing. So they just kind of let me do it. And this time around, everyone around me noticed like she needs some coaching. (laughs) Otherwise this baby's going to take forever. And we want this baby out now. Yeah. Were you just like, not, were you just so tired that you didn't even feel like moving and like really trying to get him out? You're like, I just want to rest through these as best as I can. I have no idea what I was thinking or what I was not thinking at the time. Um, you know, like I had done it before unmedicated and I didn't do an epidural this time either. Cause still not into needles yep. <laughs> unless I have to. Um, so I, I honestly have no idea what I was thinking <laughs> other than I wanted this baby out, but I also didn't really want to do the things to get the baby out because yes. When you do the things, it hurts more. <laughs> it does. That is very true. <laughs> but you got to get through it. It's the only way, the only way to, to get rid of it is to go through it. I know. So I think I was getting a little hung up on the pain part of it, which is weird because I did like a Pitocin labor. <laughs> yeah. And did your, did they break your water or did your water break eventually on its own? They broke my water this time. Like this one, he it it was not budging. Like I think I was an eight or a nine and like my water still had not broken. And they were like, do you want us to do this? Because that can provide some more pressure and help him get out faster. But it's up to you if you don't want to do that yet. And I was like, get this baby out. So yes, please. Yeah. It makes it Um, worse, but it makes it usually speed up. Yeah. And we were pretty close to the end at that point. Like I was very much in transition. I could feel that for sure. So I didn't have any reservations about it being too early and being like, you know, cause for some providers, like if you break your water, you are on the clock and they want that baby out. Um, and some providers give you a little bit more time, um, and are a little bit more flexible with it. So, you know, but we were so close that at that point I was like, I really don't think this is going to take 24 hours. I hope it's not going to take 24 hours. No. (laughs) So after your, they broke your water, how was, I mean, how, how long after that were you actually pushing? I have no idea. I really (laughs) don't know. It's okay. It couldn't have been more than a couple hours because I was so close. Okay. And Um, how was, how was pushing? So that was the other weird thing. I never thought I would be one to be lying on my back pushing. Um, That's kind of one of the pros of not having an epidural is you can really do whatever you want. I pushed on my back. (laughs) So the 
the actual pushing, like I felt a ton of pressure. I knew he was coming. Um, they did have me get on my back so they could check and see like, you know, where I was at all of the numbers and stages and all that, that I still don't know what all of them mean all the time. (laughs) And, um, you know, they, the midwife noticed that I was almost dilated. I had like the tiniest bit of a cervical lip that he looked like he was hung up on. And so, you know, she said, we can have him out in three pushes if you don't mind me holding that back so that he can come out. Um, you know, there's other ways to deal with a cervical lip, just depending on your preference. My preference was I am 41 weeks and four days, get this baby out. (laughs) Yes. So I told her, I was like, yeah, I want to, I want him out like now. (laughs) And so she told me three pushes. And so I am on my back (laughs) pushing and she's like, okay, we are going to have another contraction coming do a big push with this contraction and I give it a big push and all of a sudden like the labor and delivery nurse and the midwife their eyes get big (laughs) really fast we're counting on three pushes right yeah he's like there and I can feel it like the ring of fire is happening he is right there and so they are scrambling to get all this (laughs) stuff together because we thought we had three pushes. Yes. We thought we had a couple of minutes. We did not. So the, I guess the second push was really like a half a push and he was out. Um, and all of a sudden, like I had a baby on me. Yes. That's amazing. Um, It it was pretty, pretty quick. Like once things were going, it was definitely a lot faster than my first, um, the lead up took so 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 long yeah I mean it sounds like once he decided he was ready he was like okay like and he you know he committed yeah we just yeah one of one of my midwives was like I think this child just needs to be threatened with things like we threatened him with induction and he's like okay okay fine I'll come yes but he literally waited until the hour of your induction (laughs) yeah I know I'm a bit of a procrastinator too so (laughs) Maybe he's taking after his mom a little bit. Yes. Is there anything else from your birth story that you want to share? Um, I don't know. I think it was, it was interesting. It was definitely really wild. Um, to me, it it felt more like what you would expect from a first time birth, not a second time birth. You know, my body had never done this on its own before. So when I had gotten to 41 weeks, I was like, okay, maybe we're looking at a first time mom kind of timeline. And maybe, you know, the average being 41 weeks and four days is average for a first time mom that goes into labor on her own. And that's exactly what happened. She was born 41 weeks and four days. That's awesome. Um, so it, it kind of felt like the first time besides the pushing, we had done it. Not one no, and a half besides, no first timer. That is no first timer. I don't think that's many second timers either. No, like, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it was, yeah, there was not a lot of like real pushing and I had some, uh, you know, kind of pushing before then, but like 
when you've done it before, you can tell what pushes are actually getting baby out and which you're just kind of like getting relief. You just can't help it. Like your body just kind of like does it. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of involuntary. Um, but yeah, once I was like in position and like he was really coming out, yeah, it was one and a half. And he was just like, <laughs> that's awesome. Came right. That's like a baby number five kind of story. Yes. And tell me how your postpartum experience was in postpartum healing. Um, so I, I take a long time to heal postpartum. I had bleeding for like eight weeks after both of them. And I was not aware the first time around that that was a thing and apparently very normal and nobody really talks about it. Um, it, I was basically like in the bed for the first couple weeks. Thankfully this time my husband had a much better, um, parental leave situation than his last job. Um, so he ended up, he ended up having to use some vacation time up at the end of the year. Our baby was born in December. So it just, you know, and then there were holidays that didn't count against his leave. So he was home for about six or seven weeks, um, postpartum, which was really nice. So I did get to just kind of like stay in the bed and hang out with my baby. And he was doing everything else. He was taking care of me, taking care of our three-year-old. Um, it was a bit of a lonelier postpartum experience this time around because we were in the middle of a huge COVID surge, um, that got worse in January and February, but we didn't have a lot of visitors. We also had not had time to like make friends in a new city because we moved at the beginning of all this so we were kind of like on our own which which was pretty tough looking back on it um there are perks to not having people stop by your house constantly after baby but you know the downside is is that like I had to do all of our meal prep before we had him last time around. We had lots of people that were able to bring us food and stuff because we had a support system where we were. And this time around, I just filled our freezer with meals right. <laughs> before baby came. So we, we did a lot on our own, right? Um, which is a very different experience, but we also outsourced, um, some help where we could. So we had help with, um, cleaning the house and, you know, we, I guess we kind of outsourced our meals to us <laughs> past us helped out future us. Yes. Yes. That's always a good thing to do. Postpartum is to like, you know, let people do a couple of things for you. And I do feel like a huge theme in like anybody who has had a baby during the pandemic is feeling like just that like gap postpartum where you really don't have, even if you, you know, hadn't you, maybe you hadn't moved. It's still like, you're not seeing people you're, you know, it is still just like a lonely isolating time, whether you had a baby during COVID or not, but it definitely can be even harder postpartum because you're already going through so much, um, and so much with the, even physically and emotionally and mentally with having a new baby. 
yeah yeah and throw a global pandemic on top of it it was yes. <laughs> you know just a lot to handle all at once um but we made it through it we you know are pretty prepared for birth and getting a support system together um we know that i am high risk for postpartum depression so we were already working with a perinatal psychiatrist um, beforehand and afterwards. So, you know, we had our doulas, we had our midwives, we definitely outsourced a lot of support and help from professionals, which we are very fortunate to be in that position. Um, you know, unfortunately in this country, we don't have a lot of that support for moms that is just routine elsewhere um and very few moms are able to afford that kind of help that you have to outsource yes that's very true I did a podcast with a postpartum doula and that was something we talked a lot about is how there's just this huge gap for for postpartum care for women in general it's like you have your baby and we're like okay well we'll see you once at six weeks and it can be super yeah yeah, we're, that, we're very focused on the first. infant, like the infant first. And, you know, it, it kind of makes you feel like you're just an incubator. Like we're all about baby and it's really nice to have, um, providers that are looking at us as a whole, as a family, not just mommy and baby as a whole, um, or birther and baby as a whole, but the entire unit because you know if the person giving birth isn't healthy then the rest of the family isn't healthy and if their support partners aren't healthy then you know who's gonna take care of mom right I could not agree more and really quick Beth before we let you go tell me your top two tips or bits of advice for new moms or soon-to-be moms um so my tip number one is make your plan for health ahead of time um find out about laundry services in your area should you need it find out about house cleaners should you need it um if you can't afford those things like find through your friends and family who's good at what and what they can help with. Cause you know, people do want to help. It's just that they don't know what to help with. So if you know somebody who's really good at laundry, say, Hey, do you mind coming to do some laundry for me? Um, you know, we kind of have a hard rule of only helpers are allowed to visit. So you're not coming to visit if you're just there to hold my baby while they're sleeping I like <laughs> and it. then hand them back to me when they're crying, like you're going to change a diaper. You're going to take care of the three-year-olds. You can fold some laundry for us. You can run a load of dishes, even, you know, even if it's just dropping off dinner, um, just outsourcing as much help as you can ahead of time. Then you're not scrambling postpartum because you have plenty going on. Yeah. I think we focus so much on like prepping for birth, you know, which is great. We, we hire a doula, we do so much research, so much education, you know, we, we make a whole birth plan and then we forget about that. That's, you know, less than that's, that can sometimes be as short as four hours of your whole story yeah. and we forget about a year postpartum that we have to prep and plan for. And really those first, you know, those first few months are the most crucial. So I love that you spent that time and that work to prepare for the first few months postpartum. 
yeah, it makes things a lot easier. Um, and it's, it's nice, especially if you know that you're high risk for like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, um, you know, that can be very much triggered by just the circumstances of having a baby and being completely overwhelmed. So anything that you can do for your future self to take away that anxiety before it happens, um, you know, that just helps with your overall health right. going forward. Yes. And what was your other tip? Um, I, I think my second tip is just to be gentle with yourself and with your partner and with your baby, because it doesn't matter how many times you do this. It's always a new experience. Um, everything is new for baby. They're learning how to human yes, because they, they don't know how to do that. They know how to goldfish, like, but they don't know how to human. I love that. I've never, never heard that. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's easy to get frustrated and overwhelmed, you know, especially as the person giving birth to this new human, there's a lot of pressure that we do put in particular on birthing people and women. And we do that to ourselves and just, you know, you can plan to exclusively breastfeed your baby and sometimes that doesn't work out. It didn't work out with either of our kids for completely different reasons, but I thought that's what I would do. And it just didn't happen. And that's okay. And having that mentality beforehand of, we will just do what works for us. That really helps a lot that, um, you know, you don't feel like you're losing as much if something that you plan for doesn't work out or, you know, things don't go perfectly. Yes. Yes. I love both of those. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing a little bit of both of your birth stories. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.